This is Tuesday, September 21st. Now, when Australian punk rocker Nick Cave picked up the New Testament and read the Gospel of Mark, he was shocked. He'd heard about Jesus, the Jesus of the church, but what he discovered in Scripture was nothing like the caricatures he'd heard. Here's Nick. The church, the Christ the church offers us, the bloodless, placid Savior, the man smiling benignly at a group of children or calmly, serenely hanging from the cross, denies Christ his potent creative sorrow or his boiling anger that confronts us so forcefully in Mark. Thus the church denies Christ his humanity, offering up a figure we can perhaps praise but never relate to. Now, it is true that often the church tames Jesus by giving us a picture of Jesus, well, that's unreal. He's sanitized so that he doesn't offend our sensibilities. So to return to the Gospels and hear about Jesus afresh, well, it is refreshing. We find Jesus confronting the religious authorities, calling them snakes. We find Jesus facing down a religious mob bent on violence. He is no sanitized savior. He's wild and free. Now here's the problem for many people in talking about God. They speak in general about who God is, but in Jesus we have a person, a particular person, someone that lived and breathed, someone that was seen and known we have God not as an idea, but a specific individual, Jesus. Now, this has been called the scandal of particularity. Yes, it's easy to talk about ideas of God and what God is like. But this is one particular person. This is Jesus. He is God? How can that be? He was born at a particular time and lived in a specific community. He lived a solitary life. This one is God. Now, God gave his people a moral code. They could not see God and live. But here we have a person. Not a myth like the story of Robin Hood. We have a man that became indignant around uncaring religious leaders. A man that wept at the grave of his friend. A man that became furious at the religious system that was keeping people from God. We have a man that is God. Now, as we read Colossians, Paul has an immense problem. How can you begin to describe Jesus? He's God, as we're told in the Gospel of John, but not God as an idea. God in person, as we've been learning. Now, Sunday we learned there are two major heresies or false teachings that arose in the church about Jesus. The first said that Jesus was the Messiah and was sent by God, but he was not God. He was really just an extraordinary man. He was fully man, but no more God than any other man. Now, we find this teaching among the Jehovah's Witnesses today, for example, and some other cults. And these folks miss the teaching about God we have right here in the book of Colossians. The second false teaching was that Jesus appeared to be a man so that God could make contact with humanity. But that's all. He appeared to be a man, but he was 
not. He was fully God, but not man at all. Now these folks believe he's God and worship him, but they deny his humanity. Here's our text for today. Colossians 1, 17 to 19. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now notice that Paul does not retell the story of things that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. The people know this story. Paul is trying to tell us about what the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, means. You might call this the view from 30,000 feet. This one born of Mary made all things. The man that walked the towns and villages of Galilee sustains the creation moment by moment. The one that inhabited time and space lived in a Jewish neighborhood. The whole of the creation is his. And because of this, he's first. He's preeminent before all things, Paul tells us. Again, this is heady stuff. When we make the connection to who God is in the person of Jesus. Yes, the baby born in Bethlehem is God. Incomprehensible, but now accessible to us. He's like every other man that has ever lived, but completely unlike every other man. Now, when we begin to understand this, we see it for the scandal that it is. The eternal God cannot become a human being, but he did. We bow before him and worship him. Now, this teaches us about humanity. If God dwells in man, what must human beings be? This honors us as human beings. Also, if we see God in human flesh, we are shown what human life is meant to be. When Jesus says to us, come and follow me, he means it. We can come after him and become his disciples. Now, I want to return to the Australian punk rocker. After reading the Gospel of Mark, he wrote an introduction to the Gospel. In part, he said, The essential humanness of Mark's Christ provides us with a blueprint for our own lives so that we have something we can aspire to rather than revere that can lift us free of the mundanity of our own existences rather than affirming the notion that we're lowly and unworthy. Merely to praise Christ in his perfectness keeps us on our knees with our heads pitifully bent. Clearly, this is not what Christ had in mind. Christ came as a liberator. Christ understood that we as humans are forever held to the ground by the pull of gravity, our ordinariness, our mediocrity. And it was through his example that he gave our imaginations the freedom to fly. In short, to be Christ-like. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for taking on human flesh. We do bow before you. We fall on our knees. Thank you that we might know you. You show us life as it's intended for us to live from the beginning. Guide us by your Spirit as we follow you. Empower us to live in Jesus and to walk as Jesus did. For we pray in the name of Jesus.
Amen.